Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 16. We probably will get down through just a few of these here tonight and uh, pick it up wherever we leave off. And follow along with me as I read these verses. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another and do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble and do not be wise in your own opinion. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and again acknowledging your wonderful work that you began before there was even creation. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that's given to us and Lord, for the plan of salvation and and Lord, for bringing that here to our valley so many years ago now. But thank you, Lord, for those that were faithful to proclaim and to live out the gospel and that we might be beneficiaries of that. Thank you that you continue to write your story. And we pray, Lord, that we would continue to see people step forward, make a true profession of faith and declare that publicly, even in baptism. And Lord, we would pray that the love we have for one another would be seen and it would be something that people would want. It would point to you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who is teaching us. And we acknowledge him tonight and ask that he he would indeed instruct us in ways only he can do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Twelve ways to love. That's what's found in this section. As you read down through this, these verses and you follow them, it seems like Paul kind of has uh, these little short proverbs or short statements that just keep going back and forth, back and forth. But they all are kind of built there on the premise of love. Uh, let love be without hypocrisy. He begins with that statement in this section. And everything follows out of a product of that love. It's a, a love that's in action. And really this umbrella that falls under well everything that is described in the next verses falls under that whole umbrella of love and what it should look like and and how it should be in a context of christians loving one another and i look at that because there's just some very simple things we're going to go down statement by statement as we look at them and the first one is this i get this outline from the text but the the actual outline i took was from ray pritchard's notes on this but um, very simply, it goes like this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Point number one, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. One of the things that drew me definitely to look into the gospel, of course, the love of Christ and the, the, and the Lord himself working there, but it was the love I saw that Christians had one for another. And when I was in um, high school, I remember thinking when I knew some of the Christians that were there in Eagle Lake, and I said, I I wish I had what they had, you know. They seemed to have a bond with one another, and there was a sincere, genuine love that they had. I I like uh, uh, 
Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of that in his translation there, he's put, love from the center of who you are and don't fake it. <laughs> that, that's really the way it, it reads there. Don't fake it, right? Sometimes we think we see love and it's really not love that we're watching, right? And the world has a whole wrong view of love. They really do. Uh, most of the love that the world demonstrates is a love that is self-satisfying. And the love that Christ has, first and foremost, is that unconditional kind of love. That's the word that God, uh, that Paul chooses here, that the Lord breathed out through his pen, is that agape kind of love. Let your love be without hypocrisy. An unconditional kind of love. Let it be sincere. I came across this illustration in the Reader's Digest. The man uh, named Joe Wagner, he wrote, I was attending a junior stock show when a grand champion lamb owned by a little girl was being auctioned. As the bids reached $5 per pound, the little girl standing beside the lamb in the arena began to cry. At $10, the tears were streaming down her face and she clasped her arms tightly around the lamb's neck. The higher the bids rose, the more she cried. Finally, a local businessman bought the lamb for more than $1,000. But then he announced that he was donating it to the little girl. The crowd applauded and cheered. Months later, I was judging some statewide essays when I came across one from a girl who told about the time her grand champion lamb had been auctioned. The, quote, the prices began to get so high during the bidding, she wrote, that I started to cry from happiness. She continued with, the man who bought the lamb for so much more than I ever dreamed I would get returned the lamb to me, and when I get home, daddy barbecued the lamb, and it was really delicious. <laughs> well, sometimes what we see is love isn't really love, right? This girl is just excited about the fact that this lamb was being sold a lot higher than she ever dreamed. And I just thought that was kind of funny, sort of, not for the lamb, I guess, but you know, uh, love needs to be sincere. And sometimes we really judge it wrong, don't we? We do. And the, the love that Paul was talking about here, it has to begin from within. Don't fake it. And all of us can fake uh, kind of affection and love and even a sacrificial look to that. And he really wants it to be without hypocrisy, right? In doing that. The second one is love must be discerning. And he, he says this, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And sometimes, uh, really what it's saying here is that love hates evil. The two are opposite ends of each other, okay? And we're to abhor that which is evil. Uh, evil should always affect the Christian in that way. We should always go, oh, I hate to hear that. Or I hate, it doesn't mean you hate sinners who commit evil, but you should always hate that evil act, the sin that goes with it. And unfortunately, we become more and more comfortable sometimes with sin and with evil. And in doing so, we fail that part of the verse, abhor what is evil in doing that. Sometimes Christians can be caught up in all kinds of different vices and distractions and whatever else. And it's a form of idolatry. It really is. And we need to be careful with that. And we need to have a holy hatred for sin and for evil should always bother us when we do that we also need to cling to that which is good and really when you when you think about it uh 
all that is good is obviously begins with the Lord, right? And we need to cling to those things. You need to know the truth and hold to the truth and continue to do that. Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, he was uh, speaking, I believe it was at a college, and afterwards uh, they did an interview with him. And one of the questions that was asked is this, that how do you manage to deal with all the criticism that comes to anyone in such a high position as yourself? And he said this, he said, the most important thing in life is to discover what you believe to be true, and then to stand up for those beliefs no matter what. And then he added these words in, he says, if you do not know or do, excuse me, if you do what you know is right, it doesn't matter what people think. In other words, true discernment gives you vision to see what is right and the courage to choose to do it. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, abhor that which is evil. And we live in a world today that is upside down than that. They call good evil and evil good. I'm amazed at that. I, I, I still can't understand why we, we as a nation, fund uh, abortions to the tune of about 900 a day through a big organization called Planned Parenthood. And we pay for that with tax dollars. And we have Congress that doesn't do a thing about it. And I say that not because of a political view. It's a moral view that is evil to kill unborn babies it is evil and it ought to be something we hate and it ought to be something that we continue to express in in doing that cling to that which is good cling to that which is good wow i think of that i I won't go on further on that topic but i it bothers me greatly it bothers me greatly because you realize how many kindergartens will be empty in five years because children will not be there because they are being aborted today and by the way god forgives in that i realize that there are people even believers that have have gone through that had an abortion other things i had a lady years ago in a church and 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 she came to me later on and she she confessed what she had done as a young woman and she was carrying that guilt with her and i said there's great forgiveness and the lord forgives all sin and that's always we always keep that in mind and our message is one of reconciliation with God, but it needs to abhor evil. It needs to cling to that which is good, which is Him, in a world that is upside down. Thirdly, love must display tender affection. He says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. I like that. Love one another and in a tender, affectionate kind of way. Honestly, uh, sometimes we're prickly, aren't we? Huh? And culturally, we can be that way. I mean, people are like that. And, and uh, we just sometimes need to be a little more affectionate. That doesn't mean you always go around hugging and kissing everybody and all that. But you know what? It wouldn't hurt sometimes either. <laughs> I think of that. Uh, uh, I remember uh, years ago, uh, sitting in a Sunday school, we were going over the verse about... Um, greet each other with a holy kiss. I, I may have said this before, but and I remember Daryl Tozer, who he himself is kind of a little stoic man, you know, and all that. And, and Daryl says to the Sunday school, he, he was my pastor there, he says, he says, is that cultural or is that biblical? And most of us said, well, it's cultural, right? He goes, maybe it's biblical and we should do it more. He says, it would do us all well, probably to get a little closer now and again. And you know, that stuck with me. It stuck with me. Uh, I do think sometimes we could show a little more affection one to another. 
in a godly way, and it wouldn't harm us a bit. It would be in keeping with what the Lord does. And uh, I'll tell you, um, we, we need to have that kind of affection. He says, one to another with a brotherly kind of love. And again, that word for brotherly love is that word we get Philadelphos or Philadelphia, right? That love that is a brotherly love you have in that. I think of that because I have one brother. Some of you have a lot more brothers and sisters in your direct family. Uh, but I have one brother, and he's three years younger than me. He lives down in North Carolina, and I don't get to talk to him a lot or see him a lot, but I do, you know, call, we call each other a few times a year, and, and, and we talk, but we always pick up right where we left off. And you know what? I, I will have something in common with my brother uh, until eventually we, we depart this world, that's for sure. And it's this, that we have a common mother <laughs> and a common father. And, and I will say this, that that brings a bond that is like no other. And here in the context of the church, that's what Paul is saying, is that we need to have a, a tender affection among the family of God, among the brothers and sisters. And we have a common bond, which is Christ. We are born again from him, right? From the Father and brought into his family in that eternal relationship. And that certainly makes a great difference. I know uh, many of you have traveled, and I have been all over the world in many different places, not everywhere for sure, but I've been in a lot of different places. And when you meet Christians from around the globe, and, and they're walking with the Lord, you might not know their language, you might not know all their customs, but you have that immediate bond with them in Christ, and you can, you can be kindly affectionate one to another and do that. That kind of love often is contrasted against an unconditional kind of love, like, like agape love, almost like it's a better kind of love and, and a, a lesser kind of love. And I just say it's a different kind of love. And it's amazing what you will do for family that you wouldn't do necessarily for a stranger. And I think of that because later on Paul talks about having um, also affection for strangers. And, and that's in the word hospitality that is found later on. We might not get that out tonight. But sometimes we'll do different things for family. And I want to bring that down to the church because would you do things for other believers in Christ, you know, that maybe you wouldn't do for others outside the family? And I would say, yes, of course, it makes it far easier. Uh, Dan Millman, in uh, a book that I had read on, uh, I think it was Chicken Soup for the Soul or one of those illustrations there, he had that. But he tells of working as a volunteer at Stanford Hospital and while he was there, he witnessed a, a very interesting thing. He saw um, a, a little girl who was, uh, had a blood disease, and she was going to die without a blood transfusion. And they needed someone with very similar blood and someone that had antibodies that she needed uh, and to, to do that. And they found that the brother had survived the same disease. He was younger. He was only five years old. And his blood was perfectly suited for hers. So the doctors went to the little five-year-old and said, your sister is going to die if we don't get her some blood, and, and we're going to need to use your blood for that. And so he's, they asked him, can we do that? And he thought about it for a moment, and he said, yes, uh, I'll do that. If, if it'll save, uh, her name was Lisa, if you'll save Lisa's life. And so they took, you know, it was urgent that they did this, and she was in right in another room, and and they began to draw blood from the little boy and filling up, you know, probably the bag that was there and all that. And, 
as he was there, he, you know, just a five-year-old, he was brave as ever. But all of a sudden, he got a little nervous, and the color kind of drained out of him. And the doctors were concerned, and they said, is there something, you, you know, are you okay? Everything okay? And he said, he said, well, will I die soon? See, he thought he was giving all his blood, and he thought he was doing it to save his sister's life. No one had explained to him that he wasn't going to die from this. But he was willing to go and to do that to save his sister's life. And I think, yeah, you know, that's a heartwarming story. And, you know, I believe it's a true story. But I I say this. Are we willing to sacrifice for the body of Christ and to do those things? Well, I believe the Lord is the one who is able to to show that first and foremost to us, that tender affection that is necessary. Um, Next, you have um, love must honor others. And I I like this. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. And this is an interesting word. The word to uh, give honor or give preference, excuse me, to one another, it means to compete. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. But you know what it is? It, there should be an attitude, which is an outflowing of love, not pride, but an outflowing of love that competes to show honor to others. Imagine if we came to the, the, the family of God like that, and we'd say, you know what? I'm going to just outdo that guy, and I'm going to just bless his socks off, or her, you know, help her in this way, or him in that way or that family, and I'm just going to do it as unto the Lord, as part of the race that we're running in faith and in love. Not in pride, but in love and in faith. That's what we ought to do. That's the picture that is used in those words that Paul uses. And in honor, giving preference to one another. Ronald Reagan, on his desk in the Oval Office, he had a, a little plaque. It said, there is no limit to how far you can go if you don't care who gets the credit. And I think, you know, that's what Paul would have agreed to as well. See, a lot of the things we do, sometimes we do it strictly out of pride and we do it to be noticed and seen of men. And we, we want to honor people, but we want to make sure they know we're honoring them. And sometimes you just need to go out and be competitive and do it as unto God and no one else might not even know about it. Love must be enthusiastic. Look at the next verse. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Oh, wow. I like that. Not lagging in diligence. I think some trans, uh, translations put it not slothful in zeal. <laughs> slothful. You know what a sloth is, right? Yeah, it's that animal that it has very few predators. The only reason is it moves so slow and it looks like a jungle. You know, actually the fur becomes all moss covered or ingrown or whatever this green stuff grows in it and all this and they just move so slow among the branches in the jungle that nothing else even picks up on it that it isn't part of the the woodwork you know it's a sloth and it moves slow and you know what our love shouldn't be like that you know it should be one that is full of zeal it should be quick not lagging in diligence. Diligence carries with the idea of, of being at a task and com- completing it. And, and when you think of that, sometimes you know we say, "Ah, it'd be nice if I did this or I did that or I showed them this," or did, and we don't follow through with it. 
oh boy, that gets convicting because I have those things I've done and I haven't done. And I, I think, hmm, maybe I need to write a letter <laughs> or make a phone call or stop and visit someone or those kind of things. And our love needs to be one that is not lagging, but it needs to be diligent. And it needs to be fervent. And that means so burning that we're able to go out and to do things that we would never do other other places because the love in us just boils over. A number of years ago, in Rome, Maine, okay, in our state, there was a teenager, and uh, this was in the newspaper, a man named Arthur Hinckley, teenager, He lifted a 3,000-pound tractor with his bare hands off his friend named Lloyd Batchelder. Lloyd was uh, 18 years old. And now his friend Arthur there was not a weightlifter. He was not particularly athletic. He was a (laughs) farmhand. Now they're pretty strong usually, but 3,000 pounds is a lot. Somehow he was able to lift the tractor off of Lloyd and enough so that he was able to wiggle out underneath it and be free and his life was saved. Someone asked him, how'd he do it? And he said, love was a motivation. <laughs> hmm. When you love somebody, you care for them. It's amazing what you'll do and what you can do. Sometimes far beyond what you're able to do in that. And then lastly for tonight anyways, number six, love must be patient. Look at verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Now, all three of those things, right? Rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, or in, in, uh, in that continuing steadfast in prayer, all those are part of that patience, that working out. And love is like that. And really, the idea is that these are the, uh, the, the hope, or the hope is of the return of Christ. And as his his bride the church and as individuals who make up that bride guess what we wait patiently with the hope of his return someday and the outflow of that is love and and you say well why is it that i can i can go through trials today being patient in tribulation because i love the lord and that love of his return and i can continue steadfast continue steadfast in prayer and we've spoken a lot about that sometimes meaning you need to pray for a long time for someone or something uh, and continue to do that and maybe not even seeing the fruit of that prayer in your lifetime (laughs) i wonder how many people over the years prayed for maybe our area up here we we weren't at least right now i'm not aware of you know prayer meetings that went on maybe a hundred years ago 200 years ago whatever going down through the ages people praying for their descendants praying for their families as they set off praying for those that would settle a land those that would go out and would they pray that the people would know the lord Hmm. i think maybe we'll be maybe we'll know more when we get to heaven about that you ever wonder if you'll run into somebody and 
In, you know, if we recognize people now, I'm sure we'll recognize people in heaven because we'll finally have all our faculties the way we should. You won't be able to forget their names or anything. You know what? We're going to see people and we're going to just know them. That, just like when, remember, uh, Christ was on the Mount of Transfiguration and Elijah and Moses appeared and the disciples recognized them there. How did they recognize them? They didn't live with Moses and Elijah. They knew who they were. Maybe it was obvious. I don't know. I don't think they had name tags. I just think they knew. And, I, and we're going we're gonna to be going along someday, and maybe we'll see somebody who was our great, 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 great grandmother or grandfather or whoever, and they said, hey, I prayed for you. Maybe not by name, but I, I prayed steadfastly throughout my life for my children. And I, I prayed they would reach people for Christ. And I, I, you know, that there's reward in that, and we might not even see it in this lifetime. Matter of fact, we might think that they aren't headed in the right direction. You know, our families or our children or anything. And listen, do not give up in prayer. Do not give up. All right, we're out of time. And I want to continue this next time as we look down through some other areas of uh, the other, uh, the other se- six things Excuse me, that we're going to look at in uh, regards to the way our love uh, flows out with that. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful tonight that we have, first and foremost, the ability to love because you first loved us. Thank you, Lord, that you have demonstrated your love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, I pray that maybe this week as we meditate on this passage of Scripture, you'd help us to remember it, maybe memorize it. Maybe even, Lord, prayerfully go down through each and every one of these verses and and ask you to bring somebody to mind that we could demonstrate that love, the true love of Christ. And Lord, you would do great things, and we would praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, folks.